Hey gang, how's it going? Uh, so, today's episode is with a man named Robert Cabas. So, Rob's one of the coaches down at Phoenix Weightlifting Club, which is where I uh, train. He started Phoenix Weightlifting Club with my coach Ivan, actually, and he's just a really good oracle of weightlifting. Um, he's competed at a super high level and he's coached high-level athletes for a very long time now. He um, is a dual Commonwealth gold medalist. He is a Olympic silver medalist and he was the lightest man to ever clean and jerk um, 200 kilos at the time that he clean and jerked 200 kilos uh, at about 87 kilograms. That was a little while ago, so things have changed. But um, it was a great conversation. Rob took us through a bit of history of his weightlifting and a lot about his um, training philosophies and his coaching philosophy. So it was a really good one. Um, Hope you enjoy the show. Before we get into it though, we have got sponsors, and they are Audible. So, Audible is an audiobook warehouse, guys. It's basically an online, um, an online warehouse where you can find over 200,000 audiobooks, and it's just such a great resource. I'm a very big fan of it. For example, I've got a business coach who uh, recommended me a book, and the book was The E-Myth Revisited, about, um, basically about the start of entrepreneurialism and knowing your role and where you sit. And uh, it's just a really interesting read. So in between sessions, we have two weeks in between and I'm tasked with reading a book and I knocked out the E-Myth in a day while I was um, doing other things, listening to it through Audible. So that's been awesome. I've also got uh, the Bulletproof Diet that I'm going through now. So whenever I'm house-sitting at the moment with my girlfriend and we are walking the dogs at night, I take the dogs for a walk for half an hour and uh, I will listen to the Bulletproof Diet. So it's just a great way to get information in. Information is... um, yeah, you're just going to be a better person and a smarter person if you read or listen to audiobooks. So, to get a free trial with Audible, go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio. You'll also get a free audiobook with that. That is www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio. So, get on there, guys. We are also brought to you by AdventureFit Travel. So, we've just done something pretty awesome and released our Philippines trip. It's a couple of weeks in now. Tickets are starting to sell and they're going to go fast like our Bali trip did. Um, so, the highlights are training with world champion Dimitri Klokov, um, zip lining, we do some free diving, we do a tour of uh, a day tripping boat trip around islands all day, snorkeling and a bunch of other stuff. We do some cliff jumping, we do... Um, Tons of cool stuff with yoga and training every day. If you want something to compare it to, have a look at the social media, have a look through back through our photos of the Bali trips that we just did and the reviews on our Facebook page. They were, um, we got, this is the greatest experience we've ever had. This changed my life, you know, blah, 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 all that bullshit. But um, yeah, if you want to jump on, then head to www.adventurefittravel.com. We've also got um, Everest up for sale and we've got one ticket left on our CrossFit Games trip. One ticket and it will not last long, so get in there and uh, and buy that ticket or any other. Anyway, here's the show. Now before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it! Yo! Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Are we alone in the universe? What is the future of the human race? Come with me if you want to live. 
to die. Alrighty, guys. Here we are, Adventure Fit Radio. I'm uh, sitting with Rob Cabas, and uh, we're also Tommy and Mac have joined me today. Uh, Mac's back from Sydney, which is good. G'day, g'day. Tommy's uh, Tommy's going to start us off <laughs> without a guitar and without a song with a tribute to Robert Cabas. <laughs> oh man! All right. So, um, does anyone want to give me a topic here, <laughs> apart from Rob Cabas? Like a subtopic? A subtopic? Let's go. All right. What's your favourite song? Favourite song. Uh, probably something I'm listening to at the moment You should have prepared this Burn the Witch by Radiohead <laughs> So I can't probably acapella that one I can do um, <laughs> I can do Trash in the Camp by Phil Collins Made by Tarzan the movie For the 1997 motion picture Tarzan <laughs> Wow I'll try and feed in Rob Cabass and one round another here Welcome aboard, mate. Thank you. I think you managed to put that in. Look, I didn't want to go so specific, but I'll give you an amen, so I'm happy with that. That's the best tribute we've had. Okay. So, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Rob? So, um, for our listeners, Robert is an Olympic silver medalist, Commonwealth dual gold medalist. When did you start weightlifting? How did it all begin? Okay, I started lifting when uh, when I was 13 years old, or just before I turned 14. I got introduced to the sport through my father and uncles, who all did weightlifting uh, in Egypt, where I was born. And uh, at the time, when they got introduced to weightlifting, Egypt was uh, pretty much on top of the world in weightlifting. So they had an interest, which was a lifelong interest, and I just picked that up and, and went along with that. Mm-hmm. And when you say your father and your uncle were weightlifters, did they compete at the highest level? Were they um, were they they were seasoned weightlifters? They were professional weightlifters, or they were no, no, not, not at all. Okay. I think uh, my father eventually, or pretty soon, got into administration, and he was the secretary of the local uh, Alexandrian Weightlifting Association. Alexandria is the city where I was born. Mm-hmm. And my uncles more or less used to drift into weightlifting, then go and do something else, then always come back to weightlifting, which was their their main love but they just did it just for brothers to be doing something together and and they followed the championships and so on and uh, and my uncle became my coach and I think part of his input into my training was the fact that he didn't put that much into his own right. lifting and training so uh, he, he made sure that seriously. I yeah okay interesting so and then um, how long did you spend in Egypt before you moved over here to Australia uh, we moved to Australia uh, just before my 11th birthday, or actually just on my 11th birthday, we left Egypt yep. and uh, and came to Australia. So I started my lifting here. Yep. Okay. Cool. So um, we spoke with Jared Fleming in one of our um, previous shows that just got released this week, um, and he started at a similar age, 13. So how did it go? Um, how did it go training at such a young age? And when did you start to take it seriously and look at competing? I think I competed uh, within six or seven months, yep. mainly because the school that I went to, which was Caulfield High School, also it was attended by Ivan Katz, yep. who was already, yes, <laughs> your coach, yep. who was already competing, and uh, he saw me at school doing some weights and asked me if I wanted to go down to the Hawthorne Weightlifting Club where he used to train, so I was in competition, uh, as I said, within about six or seven months, 
But even then, I think for the first 12 months, my uncle just concentrated on technique, just mm. uh, learning how to lift without pushing too, too much to maximums. Was that, did that get um, kind of boring without, without getting too aggressive with the word? Or just doing technique and stuff. Did you did you load the bar up much, or was it uh, CrossFit a question? Yeah, <laughs> this is what weightlifting is, Tommy. Yeah, yeah. it's about technique, mate. Don't you, you didn't just go to hundred kilos? Mate, <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's hang on? Can I interrupt? How's it when you when your members come up to you and you're like, oh, I'm just going to focus on technique today? Yeah, I'll tell the fuck. It's like you're going to focus on technique. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Oh, I'm not going to go heavy today. I'm just going to focus on my technique. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. No worries. You're a loser. <laughs> Um, no, no. Was it was it a lot of just barbell stuff, just broomstick work, or what? What's no, no, not broomstick. Doing? No, yep. not broomstick. I don't think you can learn too much with uh, with broomstick. It was reasonable weights, not ridiculously lightweight, because as they always say, if you practice technique always on light weights, you become good at lifting light weights. Mm. So it was you a combination of things as well, don't you? If it's yeah, yeah. Light, you, need you, to, you need to have some resistance uh, there to, to develop good technique and also to eliminate any fear of the weights. Obviously, so. It's a balanced thing, but I mean, that's something I carried through almost in my whole career that I very rarely went to maximums in training. Mm. Really? We'll definitely touch on that um, once we get into the training aspect of it. So, so once, you, uh, once you moved over to Australia, you were training at Caulfield with Ivan. And um, when did you, was it, as you're training as a, as a youngster, as a youth, was it different? Was it lighter? Was it only two or three days a week or was it pretty consistent? When did you ramp it up and try and, obviously you, compete at the highest level when did that become your aim i think from the first uh from the first day that i tried lifting weights because we came as i said from a background where the people that we knew in weightlifting were world champions yep so it depends to a, a great deal on who introduces you to the sport and who are the people that you're looking at if you go into a gym and the strongest guy there is lifting 100 kilos then in the back of your mind 100 kilos is there as a target to yep. reach if your first introduction to the sport is being introduced to someone who's a world champion, then you're aiming to become world mm. champion. Mm. Uh, so I guess from the first time that I was introduced to the weights, I was training at least three, four times a week, not heavy. And often I would just drop into my uncle's house on the way from school and do some unscheduled training. So I was probably doing between three and five sessions from, from the get-go. Mm. Yep. And when did you start competing for Australia and competing in uh, international meets? My first international, I was uh, 19. It was the New Zealand Games. Yep. And, uh, and I broke the junior Commonwealth record there. That was right. my first international representing Australia. But uh, uh, sometime earlier than that, when I was 16, the club, Hawthorne Weightlifting Club, organized an international trip that uh, I went on with Ivan mm -hmm. and a few of the other guys who went on to, to become Australian representatives. And it was... It was something unheard of in those days and just to make the contacts with people uh, overseas and it was organised by Paul Coffer who himself was a very young and raw coach but he, uh, he's always had lots of vision and uh, his idea was to take our junior team away uh, to... Uh, it, we ended up going to Iran, really? England, Austria and Germany. This is on the one uh, trip? All on the one trip. We as compete juniors. As juniors. We competed, I think, five times in two and a half weeks. <laughs> so it was <laughs> makes pretty, no sense. <laughs> it was pretty full on. And, Bulgarian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and most of us got our best results really? on that trip, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. I don't, I don't think anyone came back with less 
than uh, everyone lifted more overseas than we did back here. Yeah. So are you telling so us to compete five <laughs> days in two weeks? And if you're be between superstars? sixteen and eighteen years, <laughs> eighteen years of age, maybe it'll work. You know, there was something in the air over there, or hey. I don't know. It's just the the <laughs> that's cheating, mate. <laughs> I think we went from here from lifting at Hawthorne Weightlifting Club, which is pretty much like in the old days. It was pretty much like Phoenix, just a small gym, you know, bricks and and whatever else. And our first competition in Iran, we marched in behind a marching band with <laughs> with three thousand people watching. So oh, yeah, awesome. we, we were treated as as if we were the national. Yeah, the the national team. And that must have been a good feeling. It was good. Two of the guys that were lifting against us in the Iranian junior team were in the army, so I think you know one of their platoons was ordered to attend and yeah, right. fill the stands. Yeah. So. Wow. And did that spur you on to to want to um, just get more of that? What was the feeling like coming back from a trip like that? Would yeah, absolutely, your, absolutely. As I said, it. quite a few of the lifters that came back from that team. Uh, went on to represent Australia at senior level, mm. so it was definitely an eye opener and something that you wanted to get more of. And let's, um, before we go on any further, let's talk about Ivan. Yes. That old bastard tells me every day how good he used to be, but I don't believe him. <laughs> just bearing in mind on previous shows, we called Ivan short, we called him a dwarf, and you've got to remember, I've never even met him. I, uh, not, to mention, sure not to mention ugly. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I've never even seen him. Yeah. I don't even know I'm what he really looks like. I'm not looking forward to my programming. Next <laughs> <day>. <laughs> Five by fives. Yeah. <laughs> Ivan was the top junior in the state when yeah. I started lifting. So obviously he was someone that was good to uh, you know, to train with. Yeah. And living in the past though, Robert, all I hear is was. <laughs> was. Where is he now? Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing now? <laughs> well he's still coaching. He's coaching, coaching the best way of the coaching young Bill over there. So he was very intense very intense competitor and very determined. Yeah, what's good, his good coaching style with. like to your coaching style look I think we both I think it's fair to say that both Ivan and I never intended to go out to coach mm. so uh, our coaching style just keeps on evolving all the time because we pick up things as we go along and incorporate them into our into our training I think we're very similar in in many ways um, unintentionally uh, in, in how <clears throat> I think we've got similar ideas on technique and so on. Uh, and as I said, he's, he's training himself. He, I would say that Ivan is a different coach now that, than he was even just two years ago. Mm. And, uh, and I think the, the important thing is that both of our coaching methods, uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Like mm. we don't say, this is the way that I coach. So you either fit in or, or you don't. We both look at individual needs and see how each lifter reacts to a particular program, either physically or mentally, and try and get the best out of them by tailoring, to a certain extent, the program towards what they need. Well, that's Whereas, the art of a good coach, isn't it? You, you sort of have to adapt to your athletes. There's no point in being black or white, because if your athlete doesn't respond well to you, then you're not meeting the objective, are you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's absolutely right. But, I mean, often it gets lost if you're coaching... 20 or 30 lifters that's why it's not ideal to have that many yeah. people and you want to have as many coaches as you can at your club so how many um, people do you <coughs> currently coach Rob I'm guessing between 12 and 14 yep okay <coughs> and I was speaking to the boys the other day um, and I'll ask you about it so when you're writing the programming you'll um, will you write a, a basic structure for the most part the, the, <coughs> the meat and two veg basically and then you'll add on your your side days so um, I think 
Pitty, uh, Matt Pitt, he's one of the one of the guys down at Phoenix. He he was saying that three of the days of the week or two or three of the days are pretty much similar, uh, similarly structured for all your lifters. And then on Saturdays and uh, and Wednesdays or something like that, you will have a specific day tailored to their needs, where they need to improve and so forth? Or? Yep, yep. That's a pretty accurate summary. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'd say Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays are pretty well set for uh, for all of the lifters with minor adjustments. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they're not exactly the same for all the lifters. And also it depends on how many days a week the lifters are training. Yeah. So some guys only train Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So obviously their program has to be a little bit different. I have to include something different in there for them. Yep. But for the guys who are training five days a week or six then monday wednesdays and fridays are pretty similar and then i use the tuesdays and saturdays to incorporate something different maybe a a weakness that they need to work on whether it's physical or or from technique thursdays i'll leave up to them it's it's what we used to call active rest they may go in there and just do a few straight snatches and a bit of stretching and whatever i'll leave it up to them and um mac touched on this before but how much do you go by off the lifter and how they're feeling so let's say for example they're kind of fatigued and in the program it's got a one rep snatch okay if they come and do and they're saying you know hey i just don't feel up to it today um is that something that you really take into consideration or would you go ahead with the lift anyway no no you definitely take it into consideration yeah. and uh either by feedback from from the lifter or from what i observe obviously yeah. if i've got today you've got a snatch 120 and you know 100 is just driven you into the ground mm. i'm not going to be expecting 120 sometimes uh what i do is you go back and start again yeah. and then you find that maybe on the second warm-up on the on, on the second time up you start to loosen up a little bit and they look a little bit better so uh, and it depends to um, how close it is to the competition the closer it is to the competition the the more that you uh, stick closer to the program <clears throat> so the guys will ask is tonight stp yes tonight is stp stick to the program oh, yeah. whereas maybe six weeks earlier they say oh look i'm feeling really good can i push it tonight and we'll say yeah why not yep and i thought about- um sorry mac i just thought stp was stone temple pilots <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great band i think <laughs> stp was an oil wasn't it yeah uh, honestly no idea but I'll, <laughs> yep <laughs> stp does amazing things for your system <laughs> TDK, TDK. <laughs> close, very close. Tomorrow, really trying to sesame seed, but so Rob, uh, what about your athletes and yourself? Did you ever uh, miss lifts, and is it okay to fail in training, or are you a, a typical, or not a typical, but are you a coach where you're like, right, no one misses in training? Um, Ideally, no misses in training. Yeah, that's the way that I that I was coached that you don't miss in training yeah and and that's what I try and instill into the lifters because there's a debate out there I don't know if it's just between myself or not. <laughs> My I, I, and myself. I don't really care Some, sometimes you know people need to learn how to win people need to learn how to lose people need to learn how to fail and people need to learn how to succeed so there is a fine line between yeah you'd never really want to miss um, but uh, if someone fails is that their session over no no, no, not at all. As I said, uh, it, it depends on how you miss the lift. Miss the lift. Uh, Get out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, some, some people, like, you might miss the lift and you're, okay, you just, you're not on tonight. Time to call it a night. See you back tomorrow. Or Again, it depends on it depends on the lifter. Yeah. You, you start to get to know your lifters. Will it work with someone or won't it work with someone? Yeah. And, uh, and it doesn't necessarily always have to be that way. Sometimes you have to try and change your lifter. Mm. You, you know, some lifters, for, uh, for instance... If they miss their second attempt, 
you think well, that's it they're not going to get their third because once they miss they're done but you don't leave it at that then you sign, try and see well how can I fix that how can I get them to alright you missed it you still got one more attempt let's not waste it mm. so some things you accept as part of your lifter's nature some things you try and change for, for the better and that's and that's where the debate was I've spoken to many traditional weightlifting coaches and, and they're like oh you know never miss never miss but then if they miss out on the platform they sort of don't know how to rebound from that you know um Certainly, if nerves, if they're an amateur or it's their first comp, yeah, you know, I'm talking. Yep, I'm not talking pro league. Uh, if they come out, they're just so nervous and they miss, and they they don't know how to respond to a miss, then they, they don't mm. know how to learn and grow. Yep, I think it's preparing them as if mm. if it's going to be their first competition. We run a couple of well, I do anyway, a couple of rehearsals in in training where we have someone who will act as a as a referee, give the down signal, we time it, and so on. So it's as much to do with preparation as possible and also giving them information mm-hmm. so it's not all about them experiencing something physically you, you don't learn too much from missing a lift in train and particularly if you give in a weight that's just too heavy there's no yeah. point if the program says 120 because you want the guy to snatch 120 in competition mm-hmm. and you're going to just going to give it to him and and he's just going to miss it hopelessly you don't learn from that mm-hmm. at all and i think with lifting too it's also about building an aura of confidence almost invincibility you have to convince yourself that you can't miss That's so every time you yeah. every time you approach the weight you just have to be totally convinced within yourself that i'm just going to lift it there's yeah. such a small margin of error though isn't there you know, there is just, even that slight little bit of doubt and it's gone any chance yeah. but really that's yeah. what I really feel when I'm particularly snatching, uh, snatch. 33 kilos with a snatch <laughs> I, <laughs> I 100% snatch. agree with the, the word Rob used with invincibility mm. yeah because I was spoken uh, speaking about it the other day with somebody it might have been yeah. you Tommy when we were talking about lifting because there was a stage there in 2014 I think it was um, before I had some the serious kind of back injuries had some time off where I legitimately think I missed three snatches in six months and probably two cleaner jerks. And I can remember them. I can remember each individual lift that I missed. And I was, I was so confident, no matter when it was, that I would, I would walk up, left foot under the bar, right foot on the bar, hand on, hand on, sweet, I'm ready to go. This bar's gone over my head. Oh, I'm, I'm, this is fine. This is, I'm making mm. this lift. Mm. And I would be really, really extremely surprised when I would miss. I'd, and it was normally only on the platform and it would be a PB attempt. I missed one or two in training in the snatch in this stretch. Um, and one or two on the platform and I thought when as soon as I'd miss on the platform I'd go ah fuck and then instantly what the next thought was well I'll just get it next time and it Mm. was next time I'd be like right I'd grip the bar I've already felt what this feels like Mm. I fucked it up but this time I'm not fucking it up and and I was just so programmed and my CNS was just you know it was it was locked in and yeah it feels like my program's been a little bit heavier so where do you think that came from that mindset because because the way Ivan was programming yeah, at that right. stage, uh, I was in decent form as well. Um, but just the the like Rob's talking about with his programming, so we didn't go above um, we didn't go above eighty five percent probably okay. for that period unless it was two weeks out from the comp when we test. And even then, so Ivan, for example, in that period where we're two weeks out from the comp, I hit a couple of times. I hit a PB or an equal PB in training two weeks prior, and Ivan said, "Yeah, that's it." Just leave it at that. Save save it for the platform. So as a lifter, you're kind of mm. like, ah, oh, fuck, I want to put three more kilos on the bar because I know I've got it in your head. That's what you're saying. <laughs> but you also don't want to, you know, squeeze every little bit out of yeah. yourself. I think yeah. You don't want to leave it in the gym, as, mm. a, as, as a lot of people say. But I mean, one expression you used, I've used it to my lifters as well, which is whenever I miss the lift, the first feeling is surprise. Yeah. 
mm. you're generally surprised that you actually missed a lift. Yeah. And that comes from total confidence that when you approach uh, the weight, you're not trying to talk yourself into, oh, I can really do this. No, you're just going in there and it's a matter of fact. You have yeah. that level of confidence mm. that I'll just go out there and lift it. Just getting it done. So, yeah. Rob, um, a lot of coaches out there stand by, you know, don't necessarily train above 85% training and then obviously in that last two weeks you're going up a little bit and then competition you do whatever you can what what's the deal there so just training at 85 percent the whole time i'm assuming again this is probably from a crossfit mindset but um would you only just start to get really good at moving 85 percent and then do you do you see a lot of failure above that or no not really and and it's not something that you stick to religiously all the time for me 80 percent is is sort of like the line that you don't really drop under very often yep. so you train around 80 percent but then you go up and down, up and down. And if you looked at a, at a graph in preparation for the competition, going up and down. So by, let's say if it's a 12-week program, the heavier week on your second week would become your lighter week by the time you reach the end mm. because you're slowly going up, up, up and up. So you're not sticking religiously to 80 85%. You still need to hit the, the, the single lifts and so on. And you also need to, to change up the, the reps that you do. I know guys who've snatched you know, 100 for a triple. And if you start them first attempt 100 in the comp, they might miss it because all of a sudden a single lift, a triple you approach is just hard work and training and you don't even think about it. A single all of a sudden becomes, oh, it's a single lift, there's no second mm. chance, whatever. Mm. So you still have to put in a lot of single lifts as well. Not necessarily 100% plus, but you still need to put in the, a lot of single lifts just to, to uh, train your mind to approach. This is one single lift, bang. 80% is also enough weight to give you a feel, enough, ma uh, enough weight that you can sort of see technical errors and you yep. can be consistent in your, in your hits as well. Yep. So that's the way I was taught, always 80% mm. is your base. Yeah. yeah, it's good. You need to be able to blur the lines at some point to see where your technical errors are, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80% is the base. If you're training at 80%, you're, you're getting some improvement. Well. Mm. Yeah, It's a um, good example of the, the mindset and the um, confidence thing that Rob was talking about on the weekend. Um, Pity, uh, Matt Pitt, who I mentioned again before. Shout out to Pity. He'll be, he'll be soaked. Probably doesn't listen. But yeah, that's right. Should we get him on the show? Like, <laughs> um, watch one of us, isn't he? he um, Doug Pitt. He, I, I, I had um, Jill with me. Jill, my girlfriend, has her first um, time watching a weightlifting comp. And Pity missed his first lift at 117. Um, and then, um, so I explained him like, okay, so what, what's happened now is he's missed his first lift. So he's most likely going to come out. Um, do that same lift again, then he'll go up. He can't go down from here. She's like, can he, can he go down anyway? I said, no, he's going to stay. And anyway, what happened was second lift came out and Pity's next lift was 122 and Jill was like, hey, isn't that that guy that... I'm like, yeah, well, what's happened here is Pity's a seasoned weightlifter. He knows that he just fucked up the lift. He's hit it so many times. So he's going to go out there and hit it. Then he's going to move up or he's fine. Pity missed the, the oh. second lift. I said, all right, now he's fucked. <laughs> now, the, now the pressure's on. And then he hit yeah. the 122. He ended up having a really good day. He hit 122 and then hit a PB in his clean jerk. So it was, oh, it was a, quite a good day for him. But that's an example of like knowing that You've done it so many times in training. You've got that confidence. Mm. Yeah. But it's also uh, loosely based on what other people are doing in the, in the competition as well, isn't it? Well, probably, would you say, it wouldn't have been on that day. Not, because not, it's not on that not day. Actually, right. that particular competition you're talking about, we, we didn't make any special preparations for yeah. it. We had no single lifts in training for yeah. that. We just, because we're aiming at the state titles in, in another seven weeks. Yeah. So we didn't want to disrupt our, our preparation, but I still wanted the guys to have a bit of a hit out in competition because otherwise it was going to be too long without the actual feel on the platform. 
So we didn't make any special preparation for it. We trained right through. We didn't taper off or do anything. And uh, look, if he'd missed his third, wouldn't have been happy, Mm. but it wouldn't have been the end of the world. Whereas if it was the Nationals, then that's a different story. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So what about mindset with lifters? Um, So a lot of guys get stuck um, at the top end of the sport or even mediocre lifters, amateur lifters. They get stuck on a weight and they can't um, they can't get any pbs in training for a long period of time sometimes two or three years what do you do with lifters like that um do you have any mindfulness kind of mindset practices for lifters or you just say stick to the program it's going to be all right again it depends on the actual lifter like some lifters they need to be you know coddled coddled and patted on the back and you can do this others need to kick up the ass so after you've known them for a while you need to identify which is which and how you're going to get the best results and some of it it may not be the lifter it may be the programming you think well that's worked for 90% of my lifters it's not working for him so we've got to try something completely different to try and break through and what about you Mm. and your training did you ever have any periods where you let's before we say that actually what are your what are your best lifts just for the listeners just to preface it before Uh, snatch one 52. Yep, same. I snatched away. <laughs> Good. That's interesting. I, you and I, uh, <laughs> that's my CJ. There's a similar story that maybe I'll tell you later. <laughs> uh, 150, I snatched 155 and walked off the platform, which oh, really right. pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in training, it would have counted. Body uh, weight? Uh, 87, I did those. Yeah. Well, actually, the 152 snatch, body weight was 81. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and clean check 200 at, uh, at 87. Were you the youngest... Ah, uh, the youngest. Were you the lightest person in a clean jerk 200? Or At that stage. At that stage? Yeah. Wow. It's not bad, is it? What, what have you done, Mac? <laughs> uh, Just a general. I've done body weight clean jerk at uh, 152. <laughs> 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 you big tree. Uh, so, um, yeah. <laughs> so, did you, um, did you go through any, any stages in your life where you were just butting your head up against the wall where you were just stuck and your, your training was just not felt like I you wasn't worried anywhere. I was never worried if like I said I, I hardly ever went maximums in training so maybe in the snatch every now and then yeah the clean jerk as I said my best was 200 the last time I did a a PB in training clean and jerk it was 125 really mm. yeah after right. that I never ever PB in training mm. I did so I, I was a better jerker particularly earlier on than I was uh, in the clean. So I could jerk heavier. I jerked 210 in training. Yeah. So, uh, and even then, maybe I would jerk maximum as once every 18 months. Really? Yeah. Right. So, so in, that, in was, preparation for a comp, what would you build up to? Well, when I did 200, the heaviest I went in training was 180 for a double. Okay. Mm. Really? No heavy single? Is that see, just because it's that yeah. heavy? It's that, that top end, like your central nervous system and your body just give me that shot from... Is that just because of the? It's so heavy. It's right at the top. Or? Well, it's heavier, exactly. Yeah. If if I was clean jerking, let's say one twenty five, as I said, you could do that in training and you can recover from it and so yeah. on. But you know, you can't clean jerk two hundred in training that often, particularly at a lighter body weight, at, yeah. at around eighty five, eighty six. Yeah, that just was. baffles my mind. Like, so you, you've done one eighty, and then what makes you go, or your coach say, you know, all right, two hundred is the goal, or was it just? It just I came out it on easy. the day, or is it? <laughs> it's you, just, you get a feel of 180. I did it, and it was really comfortable. Yeah. So I know, all right, on the day, we'll put down, let's say, first attempt, you put down 180, and we'll see how we warm up. If you're packing 170 in the warm-up, and it's going really light, then you say, okay, we'll start 190. But you would have also, you would have had competition after competition after competition in the lead-up 
in the years prior to when you exactly. went to yeah, yeah. So it, you knew what you were capable of on the platform. That's right. That's right. It's not as if I did the 180 double and that was the only time I ever went heavy for yeah. that whole year. Yeah, yeah. yeah you right. had competitions every you know six or eight weeks. Yeah, that's so, right. Something I'm forgetting. So, yeah. can I just pull you up? You said a power clean of 170. So you would power until when? Like I know some people are, okay, cool, if you're clean jerking you are doing squats from the barbell or yeah okay. my, line's a good example of that mm, he power cleans up to mm. 170 80 then he starts a squat, yeah, okay. starts a squat. so my yeah. power snatch and my power clean were terrible by that standard so i i hardly ever powered in in competition so i knew if i packed 170 there was that was my you, best you were on. that was my best ever power clean it was done in a warm-up for for a competition yeah but normally i wouldn't power let's say the the day I cleaned Jerk 200, I probably would have maybe power cleaned up to maybe one power clean or 140 and then a full clean after it and that's it. No, no more than that. And that's just to save the legs or is that to work on no, finishing just, the pool explosively? No, or? I just wasn't good at it. All <laughs> oh, right. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, same thing in the snatch. I'd maybe power snatch up to 100 and that would be wow. it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I can definitely see the reasoning behind powering up until heavyweight. Yeah, yeah I can see it too, but I just couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like to feel the movement. I go. Yeah. I I do. Yep. Power snatch, full snatch, power snatch, full snatch. To I, like. I do it to keep the legs warm. Yeah. 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 I just. I, and plus, I've been waiting that long. It's not. That's know. funny, Matt, because when you when you hit one fifty two, hadn't you power cleaned up to one fifty before that? Yeah, and the one fifty. Well, it was just meant to be that was power an accidental, clean. Accidental. Accidental. No. <laughs> well, no. The power clean. I went for a full, but. Uh, it was the hardest front squat I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Wouldn't. 152 front squat on cold legs. Yeah. <laughs> no knees right. anymore. So uh, let's throw over to Tommy. And uh, you got something for us over there, Tommy? Good yeah, mate. Signs? Yeah, bit of the GBS. Um, now, uh, Rob, you familiar? Anyone call you Bob? Anyone call me Bob? Um uh, my uncles used to call me Bob, but that's about it. Oh, cool, yeah. Little Bobby Cabass. Bob, Bob, Bob Cabass. Yeah. Spud Cabass. <laughs> um, so the good thing about the science is um, a couple of things I take away from the news, uh, from current events. Um, something that's good that, that's happened, um, something not so good, um, or I deem it to be not so good, depending on uh, where your opinion lies. And then something science because we all have a bit of science here, um, which is also a bit of fun. So the good, <coughs> excuse me. CCTV footage shows a fearless seven-year-old boy punching an armed thief during a robbery in Montgomery County, U.S. Okay, that was the uh, that was the article name. The footage shows the boy literally going straight up to the robber and punching him square in the gut before the robber is obviously able to take off. But uh, I watched the video and um, he's a confident little bloke. He's seven years old. This you know big big Rob Cabass talking <laughs> dude, and he's just concentrated and punched him in the gut when he was um, trying to take some stuff. The, the segue to this is, lads, have you guys ever been in a fight off the sporting field and uh, what, uh, what resulted in it? Uh, Rob, have you been in a fight before? Or? No, yep. not, not off the sporting field and only once on the sporting field in a, right. in a, in a, in a footy match at school. Yep, yep. So who won that? Well, I don't know because I think we only got as far as grabbing each other by the collar and you, you do the usual punching with the jumper. Yep. And then we had about 30 players on top of us. And the two of us, I think, who started, it just backed off. Yeah. And Man, I wouldn't. I can clean a jerk out too. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing I can remember from that is one of the guys on, uh, on my team, as the teachers came in to break it up, he looked around and whacked the teacher in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> just got too excited. Because 
Well, the teacher had been the teacher had been giving him a hard time, so he did that and then jumped into the pack again. <laughs> Bill, have you been in a fight? Um, yeah, I got in a none really. I never really ever get in fights. I've been in a couple of scuffles at my mates. You know, if they're you know aggressive guys at a bar or whatever. Mm. You know, but I did get the shit beat out of me once with a friend by like twenty guys yeah. by a footy side. Oh yeah, which was pretty um fun. Pretty pretty fun. Yeah, I was on the phone to my girlfriend walking up a hill at the to go back into this nightclub that I was at. On the phone to her and I, you know, someone's walking towards you. You kind of make eye contact. You just take a step to the left and you walk past each other. That's mm. how the world works, right? So I, <laughs> I've taken a step to the left and this guy just kind of just made a beeline and just chested me like for it to to just to start something, you know? Right. And I turned around and just said, fucking watch yourself, mate, or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and he said, he did the old, oh, you want to you wanna have a go, do you? <laughs> Straight up, like yeah. he wanted to fight someone. And yeah. then my mate Twiggy was with me. Twiggy's about um, five, like a brick six. Does the name represent yeah. the... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Twiggy's five, six and weighs about 10 kilos. And, um, <laughs> anyway, Not the image Twiggy, I had was Twiggy. Twiggy, Twiggy, <laughs> yeah. turns around, Twiggy turns around and says, um, piss off, mate. Um, go back inside or something like that. Yeah. Like neither of us are fighters. Go at all. back inside. Jeez, that's aggressive. Yeah, literally. <laughs> go away. Yeah. Could you please step like. to the left next We're time? We're the most limperest straight guys you've ever seen. <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, three guys came out and started. You know, started. Uh, we started fighting with them. They just started swinging punches, and we kind of just wrestled them down the bottom of this hill. And this is the first and only time I ever remember punching anyone in my life. Yeah. But um, I was getting punched from uh, left and right, and this guy came up in front of me because there was a bunch more came, so six or seven guys. And then I remember punching this guy straight in the face and he fell to the ground and I literally thought to myself, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as I celebrated in my head, I got hit from behind on the deck, people stomping on me. It was funny what happened. So we got beat up by about 10 guys. We Real jumped funny. up. Real funny. We, we jumped up and ran across the other side of the road. We're like, right, let's get out of here. That was fucked. And we had blood both coming um, down our faces and a couple of girls had come over to help us out that we knew. And, um, and I, I'm not... I hate that the calling people if you're in a fight kind of thing but there was 10 or 15 of these guys by this stage now across the other side of the road and I said to Twiggy I said we got to call the boys he said fuck this is our local nightclub so these said, guys girls can you come over yeah. <laughs> what happened was so we're on one side of the road the, the guys are on the other side of the road and there's a parking bay in the middle and Twiggy's brother a good friend of mine Matt Dunn roadie we call him because he looks like roadkill and um, <laughs> so anyway Matt, Matty pulls up roadie pulls up in a taxi in the middle parking bay super happy he's about to go to the nightclub we're like 20 years old big smile on his face Looks over the side of the road, sees 20 real aggressive footy dudes yelling and screaming, carrying on. Looks over the other side of the road and sees me and Twiggy, his brother. <laughs> blood all over our faces. Looks over at the other side of the road. Looks over at us again. Looks over the other side of the road and just runs at these guys. Oh, wow. Me and Twiggy put our phone... We looked at each other, put our phones back in our pocket. Fucking here we go again. And then we had to run back in and help Matt and we just got the shit shit bed out of us. Yeah. Jeez, there you go. That's the same. So that's the... Uh, that's the fight that I've been in and uh, it didn't really go too well. <laughs> so, Mac, you been in a fight? Uh, the, big, the big Shrek. <laughs> Bit of backstory. Okay. Uh, <laughs> never lost a demerit point in my life. <laughs> Had my license for 10 years. Uh, been started many times. Really? Yeah, because I was the bigger dude and, you know, I was an easy target and... Uh, there's just a lot of you, isn't there? There's, there is just a lot. And uh, so I've, I haven't uh, taken up those offers in the past. And, uh, Hi. Is, <laughs> sir, would you like to fight? <laughs> <laughs> I challenge you to a duel. Anyway, point of the story is... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a straight oh, arrow. Oh, that's a snort, isn't it? Sorry. 
So, uh, yeah, listen, I'm a straight out. I'm really not against fighting at all. And uh, I was at this bar slash restaurant once with, uh, with my family. And uh, my mum and dad were downstairs and my brother and I were upstairs in the bar part. And this guy uh, had a mistaken identity of my brother and uh, flattened him to the floor. And I got pushed over and I was going, what the hell is going on? So I picked up Jackson, my brother, and I was sort of shepherding him, him out. And this is all on C- CTV footage. Yep. And anyway, I turned to, I've got my uh, hands out to my side like a shepherd and I've turned to my left to say, hey, mate, what's going on? And the next minute, Jackson's gone around my right and gone to run at the dude. Anyway, they both ended up on the floor. And so I've just instinctively just gone in to pick up my brother again. And some dude just out of the corner just grabbed me by the collar and just without even thinking I've just gone crack with my right picked up my brother um anyway with that uh one punch uh did a lot of facial damage yeah and uh went to court and and uh wasn't convicted because obviously I, well there was video footage um that helped my case saying that i was the one trying to defuse the situation yeah but uh but yeah end up having to pay a fine and that was the that's the only ever punch that i have and will throw yeah, yeah i'm yeah. not i'm not a fighter at all but it was just instinct like i've never all the times that i've been started it's been so easy for me to back down i haven't even th- thought about it but as soon as my brother I haven't been, never been in that situation before. Yeah, it's a different story. As oh, soon, as, as, soon yeah. as he was in danger, it just, it was just instinctive for me to get him out. And I went to pull him up, and one of the other dudes had me, and I've just, with reaction, just Didn't even broken, him, really? broken like three or four bones in his <laughs> Really? <laughs> Broke his nose, fractured his cheek socket, and um, busted his jaw. With my <laughs> but that, that's fair, punch. Fair, fair damage. But that's, that's, that's not thinking, that's an adrenaline. Yeah, that's punch, right. You know? It's complete adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but anyway, I'm not proud of it, and uh, I won't be won't be doing that again. I like to think I could punch that hard. What do you got? What's next, Tommy? <laughs> All right. So the bat. Cat choke slams other cat during fight. <laughs> <laughs> right. you're, you're a bit aggressive today. Yeah, that's right. Have okay. you choke slammed a cat, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> do you want a cat? <laughs> so this video has gone viral. Two cats fighting in. Uh, finding out one of them performing a WWE move, or obviously not many to, but some form of WWE move, on the other to claim the win. Now, I want to talk about the wider implications of this, lads. Uh, the fact that a stupid video like this has received so many views, like literally in the millions across the world, tells me something. The world is becoming smaller-minded, okay? Do you guys feel that the negative implications of social media and viral videos, etc., outweigh the positive? Okay, so this can be related to things on Instagram, where uh, people are still promoting themselves by taking photos of food and, and all that sort of shit and making tons of money. Um, Bill, I know you've got some sort of a stand on this. Yeah, I've already t- discussed my dislike for Instagram and stuff. But yeah, well, not necessarily Instagram. Yeah. But um, yeah, Rob, what about yourself? Someone? Anything really, Instagram, Facebook, so on. Look, there's a lot of good sides to it. I communicate with my lifters through Facebook, either putting up videos or, or through private messages I send their training programs for the week. But I think particularly for, for young people, for teenagers, there's a lot of damage that can get done out there. Yeah, and, 100%. and all of it, unfortunately, because it's uh, anonymous, it's very easy to do a lot of damage out there and uh, while you know, you're hiding behind some other uh, identity. Yeah, there's also, I mean, there's also the other side as well where because it's so easy to upload things about yourself, I think the younger, the younger demographic doesn't really understand that stuff's up there for life. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's definitely photos out there of me, not necessarily in a bad way, but just like, 
make me look like an absolute ghost. I'm like, yeah, it's up there online, isn't it? Yeah. But not only yeah, that, there's that. there's apps out there that whiten your teeth and make there's no wrinkles and and what you see is it's just not reality. No, you know? not at all. About the old tricked up Tinder profiles, mate. Yeah, the, yeah, you got me. You got me. <laughs> but, you know, and everyone's out there celebrating how good their life is, and they can't wait to share this moment on on their phone. Yet they're not capturing in real life. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's not real life. No. And so what it is, it's a it's a it's a personal thing to say. Oh, yeah, my life's better than yours. Yeah, and then there's totally people is. sitting back going, oh. My life's really not that good. Everyone's doing this and doing that and doing that. But, you know, she's prettier than me and he's prettier than me. And yeah, it's not good for <laughs> it's, no. it's not good for self-image. It's no, really sure. not. And yeah. so it, it, there's a lot of fakeness out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, Science, what do you got? Science. So there's a long-standing joke that NASA is always 20 years from putting astronauts on Mars. Mission details shared at a recent summit shows that the space agency is actually right on schedule. A to-do list from 2015 looks remarkably similar, similar to one compiled in 1990. One difference, NASA is now building a rocket and test driving technologies needed to get a crew to Mars. But the uh, specifics for the longest road trip in history is, uh, is not all uh, that easy. So we had, a, um, we had a potential candidate or an astronaut on our show a couple of weeks ago. And um, I wanted to ask, we, uh, we sort of touched on it, but we, we didn't really as much as I would have liked do you guys um, feel that sending people to Mars is worth the billions of dollars of expenditure and, uh, and potential risk to astronauts? Rob, what do you think? Are you a sciencey man? Not particularly, no, not even in, uh, in weightlifting, yeah, <laughs> actually. Yeah. I mean, they always say coaching is uh, science and art, and mine leans more heavily on the art than the, than the science part, but I'm the first one to admit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, look, there's something to be said for exploring things that are out there and taking on, you know, huge assignments. So, uh, and uh, we may need may need to start sending people up there soon. So I just feel to get like them off the earth. Yeah, as cool as I think it is, I just feel like there's a lot of stuff down here we could fix first with all that money. I yeah, mean, but the billions, you, billions. you know, every NASA, every uh, the space race, every dollar that NASA spent on the space race, seven dollars was brought back into the economy. So, so space travel, yeah, space travel, space travel is extremely good for the economy through, yeah. through um, all the technological advancements and all the jobs created and stuff like that. But to say it's good for the economy, I mean, the economy doesn't necessarily good for the issues that we have in the world, you know. Like no, it's, you're some right. Some people but say it's making the rich richer and the poor poorer. No, but you just said there's things that we could spend our money on. Did you say that? I said, I said there's there's problems we could fix with that money. Yeah, that's world. right. Well, yeah. if we have more money, then we, we have, can fix yeah, more but problems. if we have more, well, <laughs> yeah, but the rich are getting richer. Yeah. yeah, but that's not, that doesn't have anything to do with the space program. Yeah, that's true. I just bought uh, two Ultimate Double Whopper burgers, so I've clearly got no idea. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Um, hey, Rob. So you're a you're a um, two-time Commonwealth gold medalist, right? Yes. And what what years were they? 1978, which is nearly 40 years ago, so, and 1982. Okay. Edmonton, Canada, and Brisbane here in Australia. Yep. And, um, and silver at the Olympics? Silver in 84, yeah. Silver in 84. So tell us a little bit about 84. How close were you to the gold? How did it work <coughs> out? How did your lifts go? On the day, it probably looks closer on the scoreboard than it, than it really was. Yep. Uh, probably... Uh, March, April that year, I would have thought that I would be closer yep. to lifting more weight than I did. Then I tore my hamstring at the at the Olympic trials, so it was a bit of a race against time to to actually get picked for the games team. 
and uh, and just get on the platform. So at the end of it, uh, as I said, it looks close. I think the difference was 12 kilos, so it looks close. But I think my main concern was to just move into the second spot over the third place. The guy who came third was the outright favourite for the gold medal. Right. He was, uh, I think before the competition, he was probably ranked about... 15, 20 kilos ahead of anybody else. Really? He was Japanese and uh, they had all the the high officials from Japan filling the front rows and expecting the gold medal and he came third. So wow. And what, what did he do wrong? It was he just made his openers he only? Didn't, and well, he, he didn't look sharp in particularly in training and uh, yeah, there was something. I don't think he was injured. He just wasn't particularly sharp and I think in the clean jerks, they started off with a weight which they thought would tie up silver and then they can concentrate on the gold medal and we took a big jump seven and a half kilos lifted more than they expected and then all of a sudden they thought well we're not interested in silver anymore now we've got to chase the guy for the gold because he's the favorite and his coaches ended up giving him a weight on his second attempt which didn't either it wasn't mm. enough for the gold and it was way more than he needed to cover my lift so he missed it right and then in the end he had a an all all or nothing or first or third go yep. for the gold medal which he actually cleaned 207 and uh, but the jerk drove him into the ground right so a very disappointed guy okay yeah and when you're in that um when you're at that level as well when you were competing in the commonwealth um commonwealth games commonwealth championships uh how how comfortably did you win those gold medals there were two vastly different experiences 78 and 82 78 i was outright favorite so anything less than a gold medal would have been like, oh, well, he didn't do that well. Yep. And it was my first Commonwealth Games. So there's a lot more pressure and uh, for a different reason because also the general manager of the whole team was uh, Les Martin, who was the president of the Weightlifting Federation. <coughs> and the day we landed in, uh, in Edmonton, I saw a, an article where they quoted Les Martin. He was asked at a press conference, who's, if you had to pick one athlete out of the whole Australian team, which athlete would you pick as a certain gold medal? And he picked me out as <laughs> a certain gold medalist from a team that included Tracy Wickham, who was the world record holder in right. uh, 1,500 metres. Oh, you like, meant for the whole, every the sport? The whole Australian, every oh, sport. The mm. No, no, for every sport. Oh, really? Yeah. So the swimmer so, was favourite for the gold medal in weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> so, and his, uh, his logic behind that, when I said to him, well, she's the world record holder, he said, oh, yeah, but Michelle Ford was close to her. No one was close to you. So it was different. a lot of pressure though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we started, I was far enough ahead on my best lift to start with conservative weights and then just build up from that and right. I ended up winning it comfortably. Okay. Whereas before Brisbane, I had a, a knee operation uh, the year before those games and, uh, and I think I was probably the first lifter to come back from a knee operation uh, in those days. It wasn't, uh, you know, the... Yeah, it, no, no, it was like you, you could cut open, no holes, no keyhole surgery yeah, in those yeah. days. So was, the first lifter to come back from a knee surgery? A knee operation. And yeah. what, what knee surgery was it? Meniscus? meniscus well, surgery. I had started to tear bits off the patella tendon. Oh, and right. also bits of gristle and bone had come loose and lodged behind the tendon. Yeah. So every time I was squatting, it was pushing through the tendon and would tear it. Oh, right. I'd snap it. So I was cleaning the, the knee joint and stitching up the, the tendon. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, there was a lot of pressure uh, just coming back from the injury and then I moved up a weight category where I was ranked third.
yep. in, the, in the Commonwealth. So there's a different sort of pressure. Really? And tell us about how that, how that one played out then. Well, the, the, as I said, the guy that I was, I was the lightest guy in the category because I'd only just moved up that weight category. Again, at uh, Les Martins, who was the president, at his suggestion. Uh, and this weight category was because the weight categories were different. Oh, back the then. weight categories I was always had always been a light heavyweight, which is eighty two and a half kilos. Yep. And mid heavy was ninety kilos okay. was the upper limit. So uh, his idea was when you asked me before, had I ever hit a period where I was knocking my head against the brick wall? I had four years without a, a PB in training or competition really? or anything, wow. and uh, <clears throat> and had not even equaled my PB. So from seventy eight. To 82, I hadn't exceeded my best lift, so I was just stuck and more often than not behind. And in those four years, I dislocated a shoulder and had a, a, the knee operation. So uh, his idea after the Commonwealth Games trials where I competed, and he said to me, oh, look, have you ever thought about just trying to force feed, stack on a little bit more muscle and just go up to the next weight category and maybe that'll kickstart you again? And he said to me, and plus, you're not going to have to worry about weight reduction, you know, watching your weight and coming down under the limit. So he said to me, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about dieting, like, how much are you weighing now? And uh, at the time, I was weighing 81 kilos. So I was already one and a half kilos under my own limit, let alone 90. And he said, oh, well, you better go home and start eating. <laughs> Which I did. I force fed, like I was having about six, seven, eight meals a day for the next yep. few months until I just got sick of eating. Yep. And he was right, though. It kick-started the career. So the last... The last trials we had before the games, I, I got a PB in the clean jerk, the first one for four years, Sweet. and uh, and at the games again, I only weighed 85 kilos, and the, really? the English guy who was the favourite had reduced down from 94 kilos. Right. So it's a big, mm. big so a big walk weight around advantage. weight of 12 kilos difference. Yeah, basically. So, so what was incredible. the uh, what was the plan, the meal plan? Did you have a set meal plan, or did you sort of like anything? It was just eat, yeah, basically. Kevin yeah. PJ Rudd. <laughs> I wasn't a big eater in one sitting in those days, and uh, and I had a sweet tooth. And it's funny, one of the guys, Paul Tafari, who's trying to put on weight at the moment, I said to him, my diet included potatoes with every meal. Every time you sat down, you had potatoes in some shape or form, boiled, roasted, chips, whatever. Yeah. Do you well, know? And, and you just force fed. Bill and I were having a chat before about um, the, you know, the, ben, the oh, what am I trying to say here? The clean like versus the, yeah, the, the clean dirty, versus the dirty bulk. bulk. Did you do like a, some form of both of them or was it, uh, was it mostly clean stuff or you just added potatoes for everything? <laughs> I just ate, like as I said, what you said before was right. Whatever I could get my hands on at any particular time yeah. I had. Yeah, yeah. I had. So uh, at that stage uh, I was still, well, I, I worked up to maybe... Uh, two months before the games, and I had two months off work. But when I was at work, like morning, 10 o'clock, I'd go downstairs to the canteen, it'd be a milkshake and three donuts. Oh, it's good, isn't it? So, so what was your favourite yeah. favorite meal during that time? Favourite meal? Mm. To be honest, I had no favourite... We asked hard questions. <laughs> I, I had no favourite meals in the end, because like, I just got sick of eating. I wasn't hungry for six months. Yeah, yeah. Like you just didn't no eat six months. Sure. You had never had... You, you never had a sense of hunger because there was no break between meals long enough no, no. for you to get hungry. You just had to f sit there and just shovel the food in. It's a pain in the ass in. trying to put on weight when you've got a fast yeah. metabolism. Yeah. You can't stand it. Shock yeah. eating that much food. Yeah. Uh, Michael <laughs> Noonan. Double-edged sword. Michael Noonan was telling me how um, Michael Noonan used to be a super heavyweight and yeah. like to be a good super heavyweight, he has to have to Rob would know more about this than me, but he used to have to maintain his weight so he stayed big. I was telling mm. you guys the other day, he was telling me, he used to, because he was a school teacher, 
at three o'clock, uh, two o'clock every day, so he had an hour left in class, he would start, he would be teaching his class from his desk, but he would start eating a, um, like a, uh, this might sound ridiculous, but like a 500 gram block of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> To keep his to keep his calories up, to keep yeah, his weight right. up, because see that is horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sucks. Like that's you going out of your that? way. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that'd be right. Knowing Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just eating cheese. Yeah, can I mate? Eat cheese. Eating cheese. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's eat a lot of everything. I mean, he's six foot four, one hundred and forty-five kilos. Big dude. One hundred and forty-five. Oh, he's not. He, but he's a he's a senior guy now. Like he's an older guy now. Yeah. I think he was one thirty five or something when he was when he was training though. Like when he was strong. He said so, yeah. like so much cheese. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there you go. I love it. So um, so what did you do when you were coming back from injuries, Rob? Like you had a shoulder dislocation and you had a knee surgery. <coughs> what type of training? We we get. A, I think um, our listeners like to hear the struggles that athletes go through and what they can still do in their training. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. obviously you're not going to be able to. I don't think you're going to be able to squat and um, do yep. a lot of your dynamic stuff. What, what were you doing to keep active? Well, with the shoulder dislocation, I was lucky because once I'd let go of the weight, it, it sort of became like a catapult and the shoulder popped back in. Oh, really? So it was just sort of hanging there loose. I couldn't lift it up, but it was more or less back in place. So yeah. I didn't, that didn't need surgery. And when I came back, uh, I was still training at Hawthorne and we had a good relationship with the footy club there. So the physio... Well, I think it was their physio up until a couple of years back. Barry looked after my shoulder with treatment and, and so oh, that's on. Cool. But, but that, that took a fair bit. I think I popped it out in uh, around May or so, and I, my next competition was January the following year. So it was, And a lot of it was just confidence too, because when I came back, I couldn't press 60 kilos. So it was just starting from scratch. And whereas uh, I'd hardly ever miss a jerk in competition after that, when I came back, it was a bit 50-50 because yeah. I just lost the rhythm and the speed and because I'd also never really had to learn how to jerk. It came naturally. Yep. So when you start from scratch, you've got to learn again. Yeah. There's a, oh, yeah, okay. I didn't think about No. So that took a while. With the knee surgery, uh, again, I just had to have it done. Actually, both knees were bad, but one was particularly bad. And I said to the surgeon, can you do both at the same time? And he said, well, if I do both, you're not going to lift at the Commonwealth Games because you need to rely on, on one knee a little bit uh, to help the recovery of the other one. So, wow. yeah. um, so what exercise do you do? So when you're out with your knee, you're, just, you're doing some bench and some strict presses and some yeah, strict a lot of dumbbell work. A lot of dumbbell work. And the main rehab, I think, I remember doing was just sitting on a bike and just cycling for 45 minutes an hour mm-hmm. or whatever just so you weren't really too worried you're just trying to get the rehab done and and keep the upper body relatively yeah. strong how yeah. much um it's a good question and it was new territory too as i said i can't think of any national standard lifters or lifters of any standard who'd had a knee operation and had to come back really? and even the surgeon had no idea if i said to him my best squat was 100 kilos or my best squat was 300 kilos nothing meant it, it meant no difference to him. He, he, you can relate to it. So yeah. he had to rely on, <coughs> excuse me, on me to a certain extent as well to know how much to push and how much to hold back. And yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so interesting considering that's only 35 years ago or something you were saying? 35? Yeah. About 35 yeah. With the medical advancements. 35 years ago. And you, had, you know, you used to, until Rob, or like in, in Australia anyway, you know, like especially football and, and all these really dynamic sports, you do your knee season, not season, uh, career's over. Mm, you yeah. know, John Coleman, the greatest AFL footballer that's ever it. played, that's say, some say, mm. did his knee, 100 games in, never played again. Yep, that's a perfect it's example. Funny, you just He's saying take back it. then. Well, just, just how, yep. how short of a time span it really is, 35 mm. years, and how now 
today we think of any injuries quickly fixed and you know yes. ACLs yeah. now yeah. they can fix and yep. with the Lars surgery it's yeah. you know, six weeks and they can be playing AFL football again and they truly recommend like resistance training you know that's, that's yep. the best thing you can do to get back into it so I mean an injury like yours nowadays I don't know what it was exactly but it could have been six weeks um, yeah. six to eight weeks and then you're back on and uh, winning gold at the Olympics <laughs> <laughs> so did you have any did you have any ongoing stuff any ongoing issues with your shoulder I remember you said you uh, popped it out again because obviously after a dislocation, oh, there's yeah. a bit of damage with the tissue. No, nothing particularly serious. Actually, when we were speaking before and I said my best snatch was 155, yeah. but I'd walked off the platform with it. And I was so annoyed that rather than putting it down as I should have, I threw it back on the platform just behind my head. And I... At 155. And I did that, I did that same shoulder again. But not too badly. But that was the day I clean jerk 200. So hey, this is funny because um, so Rob, that Rob ranges his shoulder clean and jerking. Ah, uh, sorry, snatching 155 kilos. I want to give a shout out to one of my best mates, Was, who has a similar injury to um, to Rob. Had to get a shoulder reconstruction as well from popping his shoulders out. And the second time he popped his shoulder out, he popped his shoulder out. Squ- um, swatting a fucking fly. <laughs> <laughs> Such it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a big fly. <laughs> but um, yeah. that's legit. He was walking down the street, swatted a fly off the back of his head, oh popped his shoulder out. Because he called that. Call call that. Call that. Yeah. I, Get called him, I called him to see what was happening and he told me about it. I started pissing myself laughing. How was he holding his phone? Genuinely pretty upset. No, this is like a Just with his feet? Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, God, that's bad. So, uh, oh, what am I doing? So, what about um, programming, Rob? So, with your athletes, um, we're just talk, talking about um, bodybuilding, like as a as an accessory exercise or something you can do while you're injured. How much um, how much accessory stuff, and how much do you do lots of bodybuilding in your programming for the boys, or is it pretty much squats and Olympics and pulls, or how do you program? If they're only training three times a week, then you've got to focus on the main yep. on the main exercise and hope they get enough out of that. Uh, but if they're training five, six sessions a week, then you've definitely got more scope to do a lot of the, the accessory type exercises. And we talk, but you can work with dumbbells, particularly for the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, some bench, some don't. It depends again on their upper body. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we use a, the more time you have, you can't just snatch and clean and jerk all the time anyway. So you've sure. got to include some of that stuff and, and train it from a, a different angle. So it's just in case if you're snatching and jerking and you go out of your normal alignment, mm-hmm. the muscles are strong enough to, to protect yeah. you. So in like if you were to triage, what's the most important accessory block? I mean, obviously it's going to be if somebody's really um, shaky overhead, you know, you might do some more um, shoulder strengthening, upper body exercises, for example. But like if you're talking um, glutes and hamstrings, lower back, upper back, um, upper body, like what, is, what are the, what's your most important? What's your number if, one? What's your number one if you had time with your athlete? I think upper body because uh, the rest gets enough work probably through squats and pulls and snatches and clean jerks. So upper body and more shoulders and, and triceps and so on. So I would say presses, strict presses, maybe presses behind the neck, lateral raises with dumbbells and bent over rows. And bodybuilding styles, say like a 4x8, four 4x12, four what are your rep schemes? Uh, normally maybe three sets of eight. Okay. Yeah, just so getting a little shuffle. bit of size, but still on near the yeah. strength kind of strength zone. Yeah, it's interesting you said behind the neck strict press. There's a lot of misconception out there with that exercise, isn't there? It can be. I'm careful with that because it can irritate your shoulders. Right. Uh, so 
if you have trouble with your shoulders, it's probably something you want to do uh, with with a bit of care because yeah. it it can really irritate shoulders. Yeah. So why would you use that then, in a sense, in comparison oh, you, to something because else? Because you, you're training your shoulders from a different angle and normally do it with a wide grip, so it's like your snatch grip. Okay. So okay. it strengthens you in that specific position. So behind the neck, snatch grip press. Yeah. yeah, right, okay. See, I've heard that um, behind the neck pressing is, it's the full range of the shoulder joint neck and it should be really beneficial. I didn't know that it can irritate your shoulders and stuff, but yeah, it's something that I use every now and then. Let's yeah. have a look at these puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what about um, what about so you're talking about athletes that are that are seasoned weightlifters, um, and you've got them training five or six days a week. Do you ever throw in um, what's your theory on double days? So I actually ask because I'm genuinely interested myself. I train five days a week. I like to rest Thursdays and Saturdays. But I was thinking about on the Wednesdays and possibly Saturdays to do well, not a Saturday, but but a Wednesday, maybe even a Friday, do a double day. So the second half of the day to come back and do upper body um, or bodybuilding, a little bit of accessory for lower back, stuff like that. But what are your, you ever, you ever use double days for yourself or any of your athletes? I, I train double days, but mainly when I had days off from work. Yeah. So I, I, I never tried to work and do double days. Well, I, actually I did try it, then I stopped it because it was just uh, too, much. too much of a rush to get in the gym. You get into the gym too early. I was getting into the gym at seven in the morning, trying to snatch at seven in the morning. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Rushing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rushing to get to work by nine o'clock, and then you try and do the afternoon session again. So that wasn't uh, that wasn't working. Yeah. Uh, so I did the double day training when I had time off from work, and uh, before the Olympics, I had six months off work. Mm. So I was doing uh, six sessions in the morning and three sessions at night. So I was doing yeah, it's nine tough double days. You've, you've really got to uh, be smart about it, and you can't sustain it for long. It's it's sort of well, no. in my experience, it was my double days ended up killing myself and my uh, yeah you know, CrossFit. <laughs> uh, but I would recommend double days, but for like a, a four to six week sort of chunk, and then yeah, and maybe a little bit longer because it's going to take you four to six weeks to get used to it. I'm talking from a CrossFit background when you met Colin oh, okay. and you're doing yeah. strength and all that stuff. Yeah. But, um, I think it takes a good four to six weeks to just get used to doing double day training and any benefit that you're going to get out of it is going to be in the next four to six weeks. Yeah. And, and you've got to start off carefully. When we first started double day training, again, no one else in Australia was doing it. So we had no reference point, no one to talk to or anything like that. So when we started doing double day training, it was only twice a week. Tuesdays I used to have off from work. And then uh, the other day was uh, Saturdays. So I used to do, the morning session was very, just very basic, just a little bit of pressing, a few power cleans, some good mornings and so on. And then towards the end, when I was doing full on six sessions in the morning, it would be snatch clean, jerk squats, pulls, the works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But you need as much rest time as possible. Yeah. It doesn't work if you're running around and you're not getting the rest period in between. So I used to train in the mornings, go home, have lunch, sleep. And yeah. then come back for the. Yeah, for those people out there doing double days now, would you say quality is better than quantity? Would you rather have one red hot crack at a, one session a day rather than coming back in the evening and being lethargic and unmotivated and, and just going through the motions? Do you see there's benefit in that? Or would you say to that athlete, just focus on or make one more quality rather than increasing the. Uh, if you can put sessions? in a quality session in the morning, do it. If you can't, then don't do it. Just come in and do it at, uh, at night. And even the night sessions, it's like my coach used to say, get in there, do your training quickly and get out. 
So the quicker you get your training done, the better. The less less stress periods in between sets and reps. Less stress on the mind as well, I would say. Yeah, yep. yeah it's hard it's to stay focused. Thing. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. After you know two hours in the gym, you you know your oh, mind is starting to wonder. You can't focus. Yeah. I think people really start you know tend to forget sometimes with strength training that most of it isn't about that that rest period that recovery that anabolic state you know training more like yeah. touching on what mac is saying is never usually a good way to go about it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah absolutely the rest period is very important sleep sleep eating well yep. yeah yeah 9 30 10 o'clock i was in bed most times yep. when i was competing Good. Alright, cool. Should we go to um, what do you got there, Tommy? I got a bit of a riddle. Um, <laughs> you, you like riddles, Pop? <laughs> I can take them or leave them. Oh, very good. <laughs> All right. Well, it's not the one with the stamp again for the third time, <laughs> yeah. Tommy. <laughs> stamp. Stamp. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, how about this bad boy? <laughs> a dad and his son were riding their bikes and crashed. Two ambulances came and took them to different hospitals. The man's son was in the operating room, and the doctor said. I can't operate on you. You're my son. How is that possible? It's a dream. It's not a dream. <laughs> Genuinely happened. The, the man's son yep. was on the operating table. And so the doctor said, a dad and his son were riding their bikes and they crashed. Two ambulances came and took them to different hospitals. The man's son was in the operating room and the doctor said, I can't operate on you. You're my son. How is that possible? Because uh, someone in the car was went to the hospital and oh, I've won it all! <laughs> <laughs> like, you are so it? wrong. Really? <laughs> wrong. It, the, the answer is genuinely staring at you in the face. It was you! No. Well, what, what do you need to make someone? A woman and yeah. a man. So? Oh, the, the doctor was a woman. Uh, the doctor was oh, his mum. <laughs> Far out. How good's that though? Are we all sexist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we nah, he had two dads. Yeah. <laughs> all right, what, what about this one? If I drink, I die. He's if not. I eat... <laughs> stamp. Yeah, it's a stamp. If I drink, I die. If I eat, I am fine. What am I? Rob Cabas training in the Commonwealth Games? Or <laughs> if I, if this I one's drink, tough. This one's tough. If I drink, I die. Yep. If I eat, I am fine. What am I? Ooh, Mac is on something here. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that face. Here <laughs> is that. I've given up. I'm fire. Fire. So fire drinks. It yeah. dies. But if it eats, it's good. You know how fire's like. Yeah. Eats stuff. Yeah. yeah, but you don't really. You yeah, don't really. A fire yeah. doesn't really drink water. Yeah, that's a shitty one. Real <laughs> shit. I'm sorry. You really clutch the straw. Let's be too all right, smart. All right. yeah. So what? What goes all around the world but stays in one corner? Have a guess of what we've been giving him shit about. <laughs> <laughs> what goes all around the world. But stays in one corner. Postage stamp, postage stamp, postage stamp, postage stamp. Postage stamp. <laughs> that is correct, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy's That's, cool. That's yeah. our favourite. Very one good. Because Tommy used it two uh, weeks in a row. Yeah, I, said, yeah. <laughs> I, I just think it's a really we good riddle. Bad, we got bad, uh, bad memories. Especially around if it's Australia Post delivering to the next suburb, it would go around the <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah, it's <laughs> very true. <laughs> um... Cop that Australia post. <laughs> Dickheads. <laughs> so, let's, um, should we go to nine from nine? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Mac. Um, Mac so, so, Rob, we got nine questions from each of us. Uh, sorry, three from each of us. And okay. uh, Mac starts us off. Uh, Rob, what is your morning ritual? 
My morning ritual is to get up, shower, shave and get Michael ready to, for school and take him to school. That's easy. If you had uh, one day left on the world, how would you spend it? In the world or on the world? On the world. We're in the world. So you're We're standing on, on the, top I would of the world. say on the planet or, or in the world. That sounded really strange. Yeah, it's really strange. If you have one day left to live, in the world, <laughs> uh, what would you do? Where are you living? Uh, I'd probably just spend it with my family. Okay. Yeah, but yeah that, that's a given. <laughs> it's the first response. It's yeah, but it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, how would I spend it? Yeah. Come okay, on. I would Legend. probably. Cocaine and hookers, come on. And I would probably maybe uh, take one last trip to Egypt. Right. Cool. Cool. Nice. There you go. How quick's the flight to Egypt these days? Well, I would just make it there. Yeah. Yeah. Time to <laughs> but the time uh, difference. Yeah, I would, I would be counting on the time yes. difference. Yeah. yeah. Hey, whereabouts in Egypt where are you from? Alexandria. Okay. No idea what that is. Yeah, <laughs> is it's it on the Mediterranean. Is it closer to the pyramids of Giza? No. Oh. Is the is that the well Alexandria is not far from Cairo. Oh, is yeah. it the Library of Alexandria that had the book, the burn all the books with the history yeah, of the world? Yeah. And the the new library is sensational. Really, in Alexandria. Yeah. we were there uh, six years ago. Fantastic. It's one of the um, the Library of Alexandria. I don't know who burnt the the library down. But it had um, all the records like dating back further than we can. We have oh, any records. Right, okay. It's like the biggest, you know, cover up. And it, no, it the biggest, a, the biggest kick in history's guts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was purposely uh, lit fire. I don't know the story behind the burning of the book of. Yeah, the, I should the know. Library it, of Alexandria. I, that's but really I don't. Yeah. Mm. All right, moving on. These yeah. rapid fire. Uh, <laughs> if you have uh, no, you have one thousand dollars left. What do you do? One thousand dollars left. Yeah, is that still one day to live as well? <laughs> no, it can be as you go. You just have one thousand dollars left. One thousand dollars left. I don't really understand this one. Yeah, my it's, first it's, priority would be get a job, mate. It's yeah. not. Uh, I'm not, sorry. Not your question. <laughs> I'll explain it after Rob answers. All right, so it's it's a quick fire. It's one thousand dollars left, and then what you broke? It's up to you. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of about how you answer it, I suppose. Yeah, one thousand. God, this is supposed to be rapid fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're Counting not really firing. Quick, quick. Uh, yeah, all right, $1,000 left. I'll probably just spend it. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 and I think a, a, lot of people, that. A, a lot of people that know me would probably say, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the reason, the reason why I ask is because uh, I would just go and invest it. I didn't give you anything. Like, I want to know who's sort of business-minded and who's more yeah, um Yeah, I'm not business-minded. Yeah, and so some people yeah. might just say, oh, bugger, I'm going to go jump out of a plane and then uh, have cocaine and hookers. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's okay. Me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn that $1,000 into a million yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would probably spend it and worry about it the next day. Yeah, I like that. Cool. All So my questions, Rob, are uh, first one is um, your favourite destination in the world. can be a little town, can be a country, can be anywhere. Favourite destination. Okay, I've got a, a couple, Egypt and Tasmania. Tasmania, really? Tasmania is supposed to be um, just... Beautiful, very like New Zealand with the greenery and rolling hills and Yeah, I think landscapes. it's probably the only place uh, in Australia where you feel that you're in a different place. You can yeah. go from Melbourne to Sydney to Brisbane to Perth and it, yeah, there's a little bit of difference, but it's pretty much similar. But Tasmania, I think, is the only place with a, with a difference. Really? Mm. And Egypt because... And Egypt. Oh, I just uh, yeah, yeah. get a bit of nostalgic every now and yeah. then. Cool, that's fair enough. Okay, so similar vein. So your um, dream destination, somewhere you haven't been, but it's the number one on your bucket list? Somewhere where I haven't been, Paris. Paris, beautiful. Yeah, Paris, maybe New York, but Paris, man. 
when you go to uh, Paris, you have to check out the catacombs of Paris. All right. It's an underground um, mine shaft that's filled with remains of human bodies, skulls and skulls and bones, oh, as like a decorative thing for uplifting. When they, uh, it's it's uh, it's like it's like kind of like uh, it's uh, it's artistic um, throwback to um, when they used to stuff bodies down in these mine shafts when they had the the plague. Or and it was, oh, um, okay, so it's not ancient. It's uh, no, and but that that but it ended up they took all the bodies out. They said we can't do this, and then years later they made it as like a tourist attraction for oh, to right. tell the story okay. it's, it's yeah. a because i know in, in alexandria they had the catacombs but they were from roman times yes uh, and the last question is if you were on a desert island you have three things to keep you sane so um you know you've got your water and you got you're alive you got mm. water and food so three things to keep you sane do i have the internet on this side? uh well you can request it you can request a, <laughs> a, a box a wi-fi box yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, a set of weights, yep. the internet, and uh, paper and pencils. Cool. Hmm. All right, uh, biggest role model growing up? Biggest role model growing up? Uh, probably my dad. All right. Why is that? Um, because I don't remember anyone looking up to anybody else. Mm. So it's just, a, I guess, a reflex answer. He always seemed to do and say the right thing. Okay. And uh, and we had a good relationship. Um, what do you like to do in your spare time? When I used to have spare time, <laughs> I used to like to uh, draw. Okay, cool. Any anything particular or no? Just sketching. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're a you're a graphic designer and an artist. I'm a graphic designer, but not a lot of call for sketching these days. It's yeah. all computer based. And, yeah. 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 I used to draw a lot of mazes as a kid. All right. Really tough mazes. Um, yeah. <laughs> And finally, <laughs> if you could, uh, if you could invite three people to dinner, dead or alive, who would they be and why? Um, invite three people to dinner, dead or alive. Mm. I would uh, say family not included. Family's already going to be there. <laughs> family's going to be there. Oh, okay. Can't say family. All right. I was going to say my coach. Get a few tips from him. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, three people dead or alive who. Yeah, I'm, I'm not big, you know, on hypothetical questions. I just tend to... Uh, okay, three people. <laughs> <laughs> we need to start sending these. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah rapid There's fire. no right or wrong. I know there's no right or wrong. I'm just sorry. <laughs> everything you've said so far is wrong. Look, I'll, yeah. come. Yeah. I'll come. I'll come if you want, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> hey, free dinner, I'm up. Yeah. <laughs> Your shout. <laughs> All right. Uh, three people, dead or alive. <laughs> really tough. Huh? I have, I have, really tough. I have no idea. I'll tell and, you what, uh, so uh, three, where can they find you, Rob? There's three pretty uh, trappy blokes looking at you right now. Eat a lot of donuts and milkshakes. <laughs> no, that's right. It's, that's right. It's, if it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult question. Let us know later. Uh, <laughs> when you're editing it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So that's pretty much it from us, Rob. Is there anything you want to plug? Any swathers? Uh, Phoenix Weightlifting Club. Look, we're doing pretty well as a club. I think we, we're getting a lot of, at the moment, we're getting a lot of requests that we probably can't meet, uh, mainly because, uh, or particularly if it's someone who's starting off from scratch, we get a few requests. Can I come and try weightlifting or whatever? We've heard about Phoenix. And, and it's mainly due to the fact that you need, we need to give them, you know, appropriate attention. And at the moment, the coaches, time-wise and lifter-wise, are pretty well stretched. So... So we let through a, a trickle, I suppose. We're not being elitist or anything like that. It's just that if you bring someone into your club, he 
you want to make sure they're getting uh, yeah. you know value for money and getting getting good advice so sure. we've probably got a couple of new ones at the moment and that and that's about it yeah cool and um, any where can people find you I know you're not a you're not a man of Instagram uh, anything anything you want to give to the listeners can find me yeah. uh, the Alexandria Library <laughs> <laughs> no I can be reached through the Phoenix website I guess yeah, cool. if people cool. Uh, cool. yeah yeah it's good phoenixweightlifting.com beautiful alrighty well thanks for coming on the show Rob thanks Bobby thank thanks, you mate. thanks uh, for your very, time. you got me in first <laughs> <laughs> alrighty and uh, that's a wrap so thanks for listening guys hopefully you got a little bit out of that one with um, Robert Cabas. he's a super guy he's done a whole heap in the sport of weightlifting in personal achievements and also in coaching achievements and um, yeah hopefully there's some good resources there for you so if you like the show please go and subscribe on iTunes without subscriptions guys without listeners without downloads of our shows then this show won't be around forever because at some point we have to get more sponsors to um, to basically keep us alive. We want to bring you guys cool content with cool people and, and get to know them a little better. And um, yeah, help us do that by first, easiest thing you can do, going on and subscribing. Um, also, our show notes of the show. So any link that we need, uh, any link that you need or you would like from the show for anything that we discussed will be found at www.adventurefittravel.com forward slash podcast. It's all there. Also, if you're up for it, join our mailing list while you're on the website. That way you'll be up to date with everything Adventure Fit Radio, Adventure Fit Travel, and all that good stuff. That's about it. See you next week.